Hello, and welcome to Harp Column Podcast, taking you behind the stories in Harp Column from a practical harpist perspective. My name is Christina Finch, and I will be your guide to all things harp. Music for today's episode comes from the Dallas Harp Quartet's Toccata and Fugue by J.S. Bach. Episode number 55 features the principal harpist of both the Santa Fe Opera and the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra, and author of the new Harp Column series, Lessons on the Job, Grace Browning. You may have seen Grace's infectious smile during her recent Harp Column Instagram takeover, and that spirit carries over into this episode. Without further ado, let's get to Grace. When you've moved around as much as Grace has, you get to experience all types of people and situations. I asked Grace to tell us a little bit about her article, New Kids on the Block, found in the September-October 2019 issue of Harp Column. In the last, I guess, 10 years since I graduated school, I've encountered so many really amazing opportunities. And, well, I guess I've lived in about 14 different places. And, you know, this is, I guess, pretty common for a lot of musicians, but it probably wasn't what I expected. And, you know, with that just comes a lot of change and the need to adapt and to kind of figure out the lay of the land professionally and musically. So I just feel like there were things that I probably could have told myself if I could go back in time. Just a few uh, ways to avoid common pitfalls that can just like ensure that you make the very best first impression. You know, we're all naturally kind of competitive and like we need to like figure out who we are. And in the process, sometimes we we step on people's toes, you know, or, you know, we maybe burn bridges every once in a while. It's just, it's just a part of life. So part of this series is also just about how to maintain really good professional and personal relationships and how to recover from mistakes. You know, I mean, they're going to happen no matter how much you've practiced. And, and I'm not just talking musical mistakes. Like, what if you miss a rehearsal? You know, like this is, this has happened. <laughs> like, you know, you miss something on the schedule. You know, how do you deal with that? Damage control, those sorts of situations. But, you know, also how do you look for opportunities to grow? I just feel like being a harpist compared to like a, any other musician, like we're such a niche thing. Like we're basically one to a section always. So there's a lot of growth that, that happens there. And also just a lot of questions, like no one told me what my day-to-day was going to be like as an orchestral harpist. So many things in Grace's article are both useful and applicable in a variety of life situations, but none so much as the one that she mentions later in her article. Call it hokey or woo-woo if you want, but the power of cultivated positivity is hard to deny once you've had the experience. I asked Grace to share a few more specifics about her use of affirmations. I love this. Thank you for asking me because this is something that I've been working on, you know, because the thing about what we do as performers, as artists, as harpists, we're always pushing ourselves, you know, we're always putting ourselves in these new situations that are stressful. And it's so easy for that anxious voice to just come out and to just kind of say, oh, you know, are you sure you're ready for that? uh, Did you you do everything you could have done? You know, so how do we stop that voice, right? 
the trouble I have is, is sometimes acknowledging it, first of all, hearing that, and then again, actually coming up with a positive statement, an affirmation that you can believe in. Because if you say, you know, you don't want to say something like, I'm the best in the world, you know, okay, well, maybe it's true, but that's kind of a compare, you know, comparisons and such aren't really helpful. And there's no one who can really prove that. And so what's a realistic affirmation? Probably here are a few. <clears throat> I'm doing the best that I can every day. What was it? I literally, <laughs> between you and me, I just got off the phone with my therapist. Um, and she was like giving me so many good ones. That's awesome. Um, and to be fair, actually, that doesn't have to be between you and me because like that's something else I really want to talk about is like how much therapy has helped me to like, you know, just mental health is just such a, a, a big, beautiful thing. And we just need to, you know, be okay with like talking about that. But anyway, um, basically my therapist was saying, she was saying something like, we're either working with distrust and negativity or with love and trust. And that when we really center on those things and devote ourselves towards the love and the light and without sounding cheesy, just like really being nice to ourselves. Harp Column Podcast is brought to you by Harp Column Academy, providing lessons from world-class teachers wherever you are. There are so many amazing resources on Harp Column Academy, but one of my favorites is the Inside the Practice Room series, featuring members of the Dallas Harp Quartet, Grace Browning, Emily Levine, and Cheryl Luzi Fetter, where they discuss learning, interpreting, and performing standard harp repertoire. Join Harp Column Academy at www.harpcolumnacademy.com today for only $49.95 a year to gain access to some truly mind-blowing content. Grace and I have known each other since we were kids. We grew up attending the Performing Arts Camp at Shenandoah Conservatory in Winchester, Virginia. She entered Eastman a year behind me, and Grace was in her third season at New World when I first moved to Miami. One thing I've always loved about Grace is her authenticity, and one thing I've always admired about her, her insane talent. It's easy to look at people who've experienced success and mentally catalog them into archetypal categories, but generally speaking, people are much more complicated than that. And just because they've had success or worked hard and gotten lucky doesn't mean that they don't also doubt themselves from time to time. I've definitely had enough times where like I, I doubted my future so, so much, really day in, day out, just completely filled with dread, you know, and ultimately at the end of the day, I just realized all of that anxiety, it's just not helpful. You know, I mean, we all have this sort of gravitational pull towards it, some more than others, some clinically more than others, you know, and that's always going to be a thing. But, but when we can develop um, a little bit, you know, more of a, that, that, that positive dialogue. Yeah. Like totally. I mean, attitude is just, it's just everything. I think the other thing I would just say is that all of 
this sort of mental work of working on anxiety and uh, performance anxiety, whatever it is, or just stress about your future, this positive self-talk and everything we're talking about with supporting yourself being your own best friend, that's a strength that you can build really like a muscle. And the more that you use it, the stronger it gets. But then when you stop using it, it kind of withers. I don't know if you notice that for yourself, Christina, but I mean, if I stop boosting myself up actively, then like the self-critic comes back, you know? Absolutely. A hundred percent. At the end of the day, it's self-care and it's taking care of yourself. And if you're not at peace and in love with yourself, then you can't give anything out to the world. Yeah. Yeah. And a huge part of that also for me was learning to support others and that the success of others doesn't take anything away from me. Grace's Lessons on the Job series began with this article, New Kids on the Block, a piece that's both informative and fun to read. But where will she go next? To finish today's episode, I asked Grace to share what we can expect to see as the series progresses. It's going to be basically a six-article series, just, you know, one for every issue this year. And a few of them are still a little bit up in the air, but I know for sure the next one we're going to focus on preparing for the first rehearsal. And this is more of a musical preparation, like from the moment you get the music to when you're walking in to the first rehearsal, what are all the things that you can do to really ensure that that first reading goes as smoothly as possible and not just like okay like so you learn the notes and you listen to the recording once or twice but like literally you know playing along with the recording and you know a few other skills like that that really give you this sort of feeling of extra confidence because it's like you've already done it so there are a few things like that that you know we'd love to talk about more and also section dynamics. I'd love to do a whole feature actually working with other harpists on what is the most effective way to work within a harp section. Because again, usually a section of one, but sometimes, uh, you know, often enough, there's a section of two. And then even sometimes, as we know, you know, there can be six, like at the ring cycle at the Met last year, you know, so then here you have this whole, (laughs) this whole, you know, parade of, of harps. And either way, I think the most important thing is just that you know how you can be as a principal, how you can be a leader, but at the same time, you know, how you can really listen to your second harpist and, you know, ways for that dynamic to be really progressive. Right. I think you're also uniquely qualified to talk about this because you work for one of the few orchestras in the country that actually has a contracted second harpist. I know. It's so interesting. And, and we're learning things all the time, too, about, you know, how we help each other. And, you know, it, it's been so fantastic to have the flexibility because it means, first of all, we get to do two harp stuff a lot. And that if something happens or if we have a conflict, you know, we have another harpist here in town, which, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge gift. I've also been a guest many, many times in other orchestras. You know, I've played second in, in Dallas Symphony, Houston Symphony, you know, at the Met in Philadelphia as well and all of these places as the when you're acting a second harp it is important to strike the right balance you need to be a leader in your own part but at the same time you're obviously very much responsive 
completely to the principle. And even just reading some social cues about, you know, do's and don'ts, like I have a really bad habit of fidgeting, like a lot. <laughs> like I bounce, I can't, I just, I, you know, my legs, my ankles, I, or I'm, you know, just kind of fussing a little bit in my seat. And I've had to learn that when you're sitting really close to someone, you have to be mindful of the way that you're handling yourself and the energy you're putting off. So I have to like do a little meditation before my next rehearsal, you know, <laughs> maybe have one less coffee. It's an endlessly interesting topic for me, the idea of sort of the lifestyle of being an orchestral musician, of being a young professional in a field that is stocked with tradition and at the same time, a lot of opportunity. That's it for episode number 55. Many thanks to Grace Browning for joining us. Music for today's episode comes from Takata and Fugue by J.S. Bach, performed by the Dallas Harp Quartet. If you'd like to learn more about Grace, or view the music video that DSQ put together for the Takata, please view the notes page for this episode at www.harpcolumn.com. And while you're there, subscribe today to gain access to current and past issues, as well as a ton of great web content. My name is Dr. Christina Finch, and we at HarpCalm hope that you have a spectacular week. Music